everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me is our president and CEO, Ron Howergan. Ron, Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year to you, and happy new addition to your family, my friend. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I haven't really talked about it on the, the Friday Pulse Check from last week or, or on any of the other podcasts because we've been off for a few weeks with the Flatlining Podcast. But yeah, uh, I had my, uh, my, we, my wife and I had our first uh, child over the uh, Christmas break, and uh, so we have a, a happy baby boy uh, downstairs uh, hopefully he won't be disrupting our podcast today too much, but uh, he seems to be pretty good during the day. It's at night that I uh, that we, he he likes to to act out. Yeah, well, like I said, congratulations! It's a wonderful thing. Thank you, I, I appreciate that. Uh, we got a we got a lot to talk about today regarding Cigna, uh, Ron, your former employer, one of your former employers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we're following up on some stories from the end of last year. And you've noticed, uh, like I said, we've been off for a few weeks to do our best of 2023. So thanks for checking those out and being uh, subscribers to the Flatlining Podcast. But we left the year talking about a potential Cigna Humana merger. Uh, there was uh, some angst on from financial analysis on CNBC. There's some angst from certain columnists at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and Ron, that deal uh, fell apart uh, just a, 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 about a week or so after it was announced. Um, after Cygnus stock price fell, uh, there was a $10 billion share buyback, or at least there, there's plans to. Uh, talk about a little bit why you think that the merger the, the merger between Cygnus and Humana failed and um, whether or not we ought to be cynical about this stock buyback. <laughs> well, I, you know, by nature, I be I'm fairly cynical, but um, so I think the I think the big reason why it fell through is exactly the same reason why Wall Street wasn't really thrilled about it, um, which is Humana, which was going to be acquired by Cigna. Um, Humana's bread and butter is their Medicare product, mm-hmm. and that's the one thing that Cigna has proven pretty consistently that they're not good at. So I think Wall Street didn't like the idea that Cigna was going to buy Humana's Medicare book, basically, um, a product that they're not very good at implementing. And I'll talk about that in a second why. And then there was concern that Cigna could ruin it. Um, and that's why the stock price fell. That's why Wall Street didn't like the merger. And I think that was a real Cigna to, signal to Cigna um, not to go down that road. And, and they didn't, which was probably the right decision for them. Um, as far as the you know the people that think that this was all designed to lower the stock price so they could do a buyback, I don't think so. Um, I think it was Wall Street didn't like it. The stock went down, and then because Cigna has a lot of cash on their books, it was just a smart thing to do next would be to buy the stock back at the lower price. Yeah, you know I'm not one to generally fall for conspiracy theories, but that is one that made my eyebrows raise and go hmm. That's kind of interesting, but you're right. There, there would be all kinds, I'm sure, of, of uh, well, you know, maybe not from attention from regulators in Washington, but there would at least be uh, attention, I'm sure, from the FTC if that was uh, something that they had planned ahead of time in coordination with Humana. And, and I mean, intentional stock price manipulation at that level, very serious, yeah. you know, criminal penalties around that. So I don't think, I don't think that was the case. I think it was opp- opportunistic more than intentional. Uh, when uh, Cigna announced that they were not going to go through with the deal, uh, their shares did rise after that because we had talked about how their shares had dropped and not recovered, um, it, not, at least to their pre-announcement merger, pre-announcement uh, levels. Um, 
and I, I know we're getting a little bit into the weeds talking about the share price and stuff, but obviously that's a sign that uh, they investors thought Cigna was going to be healthier, uh, not taking it on, not taking Humana on, correct? Yeah, exactly. I think they thought that Cigna, if they bought Humana, could um, ruin what Humana has going for it, which is a, a large Medicare book. And uh, right now, as, as we talked about previously as well, that that is their only product as their commercial products were, were ended on January 1st or December 31st, rather. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and and they're focusing solely on government products, including uh, the Med- Medicare and Medicaid, as well as the, uh, the TRICARE East uh, population as well. Um, another thing we had talked about before, and I, and I think these two issues are related and you touched on it just a minute ago about Cigna, you know, wanting to buy, you know, wanting to get a good, uh, Medicare Advantage product because they're not good at running it, but then also the challenge of them buying a good one and then ruining it, uh, as, a, as investors were concerned about, we talked about, uh, earlier last year, late last year, uh, that, Cigna was planning on selling its Medicare Advantage plans, and that was first reported by Reuters, and now it's being reported by the Wall Street Journal that they're in talks with HCSC, uh, which runs several different Blue Cross Blue Shield plans uh, in the West, uh, to sell their Medicare to sell Cigna's Medicare Advantage to them um, for a, a, quite a hefty price. It's somewhere between three and four billion dollars. Uh, talk about because uh, I think a lot of people, especially those that aren't in those states, what is HCSC? And uh, why would they be interested in, in purchasing Cigna's Medicare Advantage plans? Yeah, HCSC is a collection of several Blue Cross Blue Shield states. It's uh, They operate Illinois, Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Montana. So think about the Blue Cross Blue Shield plans almost like a franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like a Subway restaurant. You get a territory. In most of the country, that territory is a whole state. So HCSC owns the rights to sell Blue Cross Blue Shield, to administer Blue Cross Blue Shield plans in those states, Illinois, Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Montana. Um, and so that's who they are. That HCSC is, I think it stands for Healthcare Services Corporation or something. It's the umbrella entity to those mm-hmm. states, Blue Cross Blue Shield plans. So so tell me, why, why would a, you know, a, a for lack of a better term, a Blue Cross franchisee be interested in buying Cigna's Medicare Advantage because this is going to put them in states that they're not currently in. And, uh, you know, I'm curious what you think the the blowback, either regulation-wise or or whatever, might be because of that. Yeah, so, um, again, thinking about the the Blue Cross Blue Shield name and and all of that, symbols, et cetera, being a franchise, okay, what Blue Cross Blue Shield franchise – franchisees, if you will, they're not precluded from getting into other lines of business as long as it doesn't use that Blue Cross Blue Shield name. So if you're a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan, and many of them do, they they may have a separate for-profit HMO. Mm-hmm. In the Baltimore, Maryland area, it's called Care First. Um, in the plan that I worked for in Pennsylvania, it was called Keystone. Um, so you can get into other things. It'd be like a somebody owns a a Subway franchise opening up a different restaurant under a different name. Mm -hmm. Um, So what HCSC is doing here is they're wanting to get into the Medicare game. The Medicare game can be very profitable. Um, This will allow them to get access into other states. They may start opening up non-Blue Cross insurance, commercial insurance carriers, HMOs or PPOs in those states, as long as they don't you know, aren't part of the Blue Cross, or they may just operate Medicare in those states. I mean, Humana right now is operating just mm-hmm. Medicare and Medicaid products. So 
it's a way for them to get into this market, to break into other states. Um, and it gives them some flexibility on what they want to do in those other states. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, down the road, it could also cause them to um, merge and or acquire the Blue Cross rights in those states. Um, you know, that has been talked about at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I know here in Michigan too, we've got the Blue Care Network, which is the the for profit HMO here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you know, we we talk about all these kind of big picture things. You know, Cigna Humana merging, Cigna selling its Medicare Advantage to HCSC. You know, for the first thing we want to talk about is, is kind of bring it back to our our basics. You know, here on the Flatlining Podcast is how is it going to affect patients and how is it going to affect physicians and namely our clients. So talk a little bit about how you think that the um, the, the, the Cigna selling its Medicare Advantage to a company like HCSC. What is this going to mean for patients uh, who live in states where HCSC is available or who currently have a Cigna Medicare Advantage plan? You know, the first thing to understand about the Cigna Medicare product, it, comparatively speaking, it's very small. Um, Cigna got into the Medicare game when they bought a company called uh, HealthSpring. Mm-hmm. Um and oddly enough, they bought HealthSpring for about $3.8 billion, which is probably about the money they're going to get when they sell their Medicare care book. Um, so they got into the game by buying HealthSpring. Um, they've never been able to make it really big. They've got about 600,000 covered lives in Medicare right now. To put that in perspective, United has 7.6 million mm-hmm. and Humana has 5.9 million. Yeah. So you spread 600,000 covered lives over, I think they're in like 29 states. It's not big. Mm-mm. And that's been one of their problems. They were sort of in the market, but they weren't big enough to be good at it. And they had some issues for, for about a year and a half. They had to stop selling it because CMS had some serious problems with what they were doing. They just recently had to pay back like a $172 million fine because they falsified some information to CMS. So they really had done a pretty poor job of, and couldn't grow the thing. Um, so if anything, for the patients who currently have Signet, it's probably, if anything, an improvement because the people who are going to be running it are probably better than that. Right. As far as the physicians or people in those states with HCSC, probably not much of an impact. It's not going to make HCSC a whole lot more powerful in that state because it's not a lot of enrollment. Mm-hmm. It'd be different if, let's say, HCSC bought Humana. And suddenly picked right. up 6 million members. That's a whole different thing than picking up 600,000. Yep. So all in all, I don't think this is going to have a huge impact right now. Now, if strategically it gets HCSC into other states or other, you know, the follow-on things happen, that could happen. But this is, to be honest, and it sounds strange talking about something in the order of a 3 to $4 billion deal being kind of a non-issue. Um, it's really more of Cigna finally admitting defeat and saying, we, we are really not good at this. Let's just get out of it. You know, let me, let me ask you that. I know you mentioned, and we might've talked about this previously. You mentioned the, uh, CMS telling them they couldn't sell their Medicare Advantage products for a a little while. Why else was Cigna so bad at it when, when some of these other companies, like we talked about Humana and United are, are very profitable with their Medicare Advantage plans? Um, it's a great question. So I think, in the analogy I'll use, is Medicare is a different language than commercial insurance. It's like saying, well, you know, I, I can speak Spanish, therefore I should be good at speaking French. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I use that analogy, some people are very good at learning languages. They, they have that innate ability and they, they're very adept at it. They learn multiple languages, but just because you know one language doesn't mean you're going to be good at learning the next one. Right. And commercial insurance compared to Medicare Advantage are two different languages. They're very different. And I think that's what happened to Cigna. They thought, well, we know insurance. You know, we know how to speak Spanish. We, obviously, French will be easy for us. And it wasn't. And it never was. And they never learned it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's really the reason why Cigna did poorly on it. They they never took the time and energy to really learn that language well. They were never successful at it. I mean, the sanction from Medicare, you've got to really screw up bad to have Medicare sanction you that way and that publicly. And the right. sanction was for a year and a half. I mean, Medicare had language in there about how, you know, these things were very serious um, non-compliance warnings, um, and that they had not corrected them at all, and that they that they created patient risk. I think they called Cygnus failures substantial failures. I mean, hmm. you got to really be pretty poor at yeah. it to do something like that, and that's what happened. We're talking about Cigna on the Flatlining podcast, following it up on some stories that broke towards the end of last year. Uh, Ron, I want to throw something at you that I, I didn't really prep you for today, but I, I want to ask as we wrap up this episode of the Flatlining podcast, uh, what are some things you're looking for in the healthcare world in 2024? What, what do you expect to happen, you know, either legislatively, either on the business side of things? What are you looking at this year? Yeah, to me, the biggest thing this year is um, given there seems to be continued negative financial pressure on physicians. Um, and by that, I mean, their costs are continuing to be going up, you know, labor costs, supply costs, et cetera. And re- reimbursement, especially from government, Medicare and Medicaid continues to go down. You combine a very difficult financial environment for physicians uh, of that scenario with a shortage of physicians that's just getting worse, with a lot of talk about physician burnout, I think 2024 is going to be the first year where we start to see real cracks in our delivery system. We've already seen it now with some, you know, dust-ups between hospitals and insurance companies, you know, terminations, out-of-networks, threats of -of out-of-network, et cetera. I think you're going to start to see it down at the physician arena where physicians start to reduce and or eliminate the number of governmental insurances they see, namely Medicare and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to create, you combine that with a shortage. I think we're going to start to see some very real access issues for the poor and the elderly. And one could argue those are the people who need it the most. Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't blame physicians for doing it, but it'll be interesting to see for me to see how that gets handled. You know, we're, we're in an election year, um, so that could become an issue when it went, you know, on the campaign trail and definitely whoever the next administration is, whether it's the current one or a new one and whoever is, is in control of Congress after this next election, it's going to be an issue they're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's, that, that's the thing I'm watching the most is what happens as physicians struggle financially and they have to deal with, you know, potentially seeing fewer Medicare and Medicaid members. I'll, I'll throw in my two cents uh, to coming up on the 2024 election is I don't think we're going to hear squat about healthcare in, in a substantial way. I know Donald Trump has thrown out there his whole repeal and replace thing again, which is odd because 
no one else is talking about that right now. But other than that, I'm I, I'm confident to our detriment and to physicians and patients' detriment. I don't think we're going to hear squat about healthcare uh, in this election cycle. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Unless something forces that issue, you know, sure. if you had a a large system fail, or if you had a and I, and, and don't anybody run and say that I have any inside information. I know, but like if you had a, you know, a Mayo Clinic say, that's it, we're not seeing Medicare anymore. Something that would, yeah. you know, that will force the candidates to talk about it. Absent of that, you're right. We aren't going to hear anything about healthcare. They'll just have to, they'll inherit the problem when they get in. Well, we will be keeping our eye on that. And of course, keeping our eye on Cigna. You can find more articles about these stories in the show notes for this program, wherever you're listening to us today. Ron, of course, as always, thank you very much for joining me on the Flatlining Podcast. Thank you, sir. Miss an episode of the Flatlining Podcast? Well, now you can read a recap. Just go to flatlining.net and look right there on the homepage every Monday for a written recap on last week's episode.